0: Good morning church. Uh, for those of you uh, that still have not left, uh, children can be excused to uh, children's worship this morning and uh, the rest of you are here with with the rest of us so uh, thank you for for joining us this morning. Uh, it's so good to to be with everyone once again for for worship. Uh, it, it's been a great summer going through the Psalms together to, to see how Scripture uh, unpacks and reflects and influences the human heart. That, that we are not devoid of emotions, but that we are created with emotions. And that the Psalms speak to the emotions of God's people and call us to some, something, someone greater than ourselves but as I was going through Psalm 150 and just thinking about the, the topic and the, the concept of praise, it, it has me thinking about the things that we adore. I remember last year when, uh, when I first moved down to, uh, to Charleston, I had taken a job with a local office supply company called Harold Her- Office Solutions, and I was training for a new position within the company, and so I got to, to go to the bustling city of Dillon, South Carolina. Uh, for those of you that are familiar with Dillon, that's a huge joke, um, but it's okay if you're not familiar. It, it makes Florence look like a bustling city. It's a small little place, but it's okay. Um, but I went to Dillon, South Carolina for three days of training, learning this new position, and one of the things that I remember most was that there was a guy working in the warehouse uh, there in Dillon that every day he showed up to work and he had his Steelers hat and Steelers earrings and his car like was like plastered with like like Steelers uh, paraphernalia and memorabilia. Like he was a, a driving billboard for the Steelers and and part of me just really wanted to walk up to him and just be like, do you like football? Like, who who do you like? And, and it, it, was, it was just so overwhelmingly obvious, like, what he was passionate about that, like, my sarcasm just really wanted to kick in and be like, so tell me how you really feel. But it was just, it, it was so overwhelmingly obvious what he was passionate about. And we laugh at things like that, but we often display the things that are most important to us, the things that we are most passionate about. For, for myself, uh, for those of you that don't know, and I'm assuming that's most of you, on my back I actually have a tattoo of the Triforce from Legend of Zelda. Because growing up, Nintendo was my babysitter, and Legend of Zelda was the one of the greatest games ever made, and so I proudly display my geek pride with that. For those of you that have seen my car, I've got the giant Autobot sticker decal on the back window because uh, I-, I stand for fighting against the forces of evil and the Decepticons. For those of you that have seen my Instagram, most of my pictures are either board games or pictures of my kids posing with Pokemon. Like, these are the things that are important to me, and so I I display them because it's natural for us as people to display the things that are important to us. It's the human condition to worship. All people worship It's just a matter of what is it are you worshiping? And the things that people talk about the most reveal the things that they worship. It could be faith or philosophy or or ways of thinking. It can be uh, uh, someone's view of politics or their kids and families or, or their hobbies or sometimes even themselves. But all people worship something and the outflow of their heart and their mouth reveals their worship. What you spend the most time and effort focusing on reveals your worship. And so every person can be known by what they worship, but I would argue that this psalm reveals that every Christian should be known for worshiping Christ and I'm going to say that again. Every person can be known by what they worship, but every Christian should be known for worshiping Christ. And so what are you known for worshiping? We often think better of ourselves than we actually are. We'll, we'll check our heart on the surface level and be like, yeah, I went to church, I'm worshiping. But we often fail to dig deeper To uncover what our hearts are truly focusing on. And so, this morning, looking at Psalm 150, we see that this psalm is not just a psalm of praise, but it gives a guideline for digging deeper into your own heart. And you can examine your heart and asking, What is it worshiping? by asking yourself two questions. The first question is, What takes priority? When it comes to examining your heart, the first question to ask is, what takes priority? And the second question to ask yourself is, how do I worship? How do I worship? Before I go any further, let us pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, God, we thank you for this time together. We thank you, we thank you for your word. We thank you, God, that you communicate yourself to us, that you do not leave us wandering and wondering what you have to say to us, but, God, that you have spoken to us through your word. And, God, I pray that this morning that you would use your word to impact our hearts, that you would uncover the idols that we bow down to, God, I, I pray that you would use a broken and often distracted man like myself to bring your people before your throne focusing on the gospel and the glory of Christ. Be with us now. We pray all of this in his holy name. Amen. As we end our summer Walking through the psalms, it's only fitting to end with Psalm 150. The last five psalms are psalms of praise, but Psalm 150 ends with this crescendo of celebration. It's not just an instruction to praise, but it's a call. Get out your instruments. We're throwing a party. Everyone come together. We are praising the Lord. And it's not just a celebration for celebration's sake, but it gets to the heart of worship itself and asks what takes priority. The psalmist jumps straight in and gets straight to the point. In fact, if you notice, every line begins with praise, praise Yahweh, praise God, praise Him, praise Him, praise Him. There, he uses the, the, the word, the verb, praise, 13 times throughout this psalm. And in the Hebrew, it's actually in a, a verb in the imperative form, saying, you must do this. He ends with an urgency. The psalm's themselves close with the urgency to praise the Lord, you must praise. Looking in verse 1, praise Yahweh. Praise God in his sanctuary. Praise him in his mighty heavens. Praise him for his mighty deeds. Praise him according to his excellent greatness. It's no mistake that he opens up with praise Yahweh, he opens up with praising the covenant God of Israel, the God that spoke a universe into creation and didn't just leave creation on its own, but a God that makes himself known. That he creates a universe, he creates reality, he makes creation and then steps into creation itself. He puts himself into relationship with his people. And the psalmist's reaction to that, you must praise him. Praise him and his sanctuary here on earth. All creatures that are able to come before the Lord, praise him. Praise him in the mighty heavens. All the heavenly beings and celestial beings and all of the the godly creatures that we are not even able to see come before the Lord and praise him all of creation, come together. You must praise him. Can you imagine coming together for for a worship service one Sunday morning and all of a sudden the, the heavenly angelic beings joining with us visibly and audibly joining us in worship before the heavenly father? That's what the psalmist is calling here all of creation, the physical creation, the spiritual creation, come together and praise this God of creation. Why? Praise him for his mighty deeds. Praise him according to his excellent greatness. His mighty deeds are his acts, the things that he has done within creation within governing that creation, protecting that creation, redeeming that creation. Praise him for his mighty deeds, for his excellent greatness, for the very character of who God is in and of himself, that he is holy, that he is just, he is merciful and gracious, that he is compassionate and slow to anger. Come before him, all of creation and praise Him for the wonderful things that He has done and just for the glory of who He is. Come and praise Him. In Ephesians 2, verses 4 through 10, Paul combines the concept of mighty deeds and excellent greatness As he is describing the redemptive work of Jesus Christ, God in the flesh. And Paul writes this But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. That this covenant God in his excellent greatness sent his own son into creation itself to bring life to dead people to redeem his people out of sin and to glorious new life because that is the human condition, to be born into sin that scripture says, spiritually speaking, that you and I are born into death, that you and I are unable to redeem ourselves, but God in his excellent greatness sends his son to redeem and bring life that on the cross, he, defeat, he defeated sin and death. And as He walked out of the tomb, that He gives eternal life and righteousness to His people. That you and I come together this morning, not trying to earn God's favor, but because Jesus Christ loved you first, the psalmist would tell you today, you must praise him but often oftentimes worship becomes compartmentalized and instead of praise being defining the defining characteristic of who we are it becomes one more thing on the list of things to do i'll praise unless something better comes along I remember when I was living in Rock Hill, I was, I was serving on, on the youth ministry staff at Westminster Presbyterian, but I, I specifically remember that during the football season that you could, you, you could tell, you knew certain families were not going to be there if it was a Panthers home game because worship was important unless a home game came along and something better came up and they had tickets to go. I've been in small groups before, where small groups were an important, vital part of of doing, uh, and and I I sometimes hate this churchy phrase, but doing life together. And it was an important way to build community and relationships and speak the gospel to one another's hearts, unless it was basketball season. In that case, I I can't be there because my, my team is playing tonight. When I was in Hendersonville, I, I had several people tell me on beautiful, sunny mornings, well, I'm not going to be at church tomorrow because I get more out of hiking and being in nature and God's creation than I, I get out of church and, and worshiping with other people. I've known many people where church is an important value and, and, and who we are as a family Unless my kids have a game on Sunday morning, or I've got to take my, my children to gymnastics. Even I myself am guilty of saying no to church things because, well, you know, I, we've got the kids and it's just, it's difficult and it's hard, and uh, we're, we're just going to stay home tonight. Now, those things in and of themselves are not bad to, to, to have your, your favorite sports team and to, to go to games or to have kids involved in, in sports activities and things like that. It's not bad to, to go commune with God within nature. But the question is, what is taking priority We don't keep roll here at church. We're not keeping tags of, of, well, you know, they only came like, you know, 20 times out of the whole year, and so we're going to actually demote them in their membership level. We're not doing that, but we are reminded in Hebrews to not neglect meeting together, but that we're supposed to come together to encourage one another. You and I need to worship together to encourage one another. That part of your praise and worship is meant to encourage others just as theirs is meant to encourage you. And another reason to to know what your praise is focused on is because far too often today Christians are known more for what they are against than what they are for. Sometimes Christians are are known for uh, trying to have an influence in the political realm, but Christians end up being known as being anti-immigration or anti-LGBTQ or anti-abortion or end up legislating morality and say, you can do this, you can't do this. And then public leaders end up being exposed, wrapped up in sin and scandal and the non-believing world says, why do you have the right to tell me what I can and can't do when you don't even believe it yourself? But I pose the question, what if you were known for what you stood for? In Romans chapter 12, Paul is urging the, the, the Christian church there in Rome to live out their faith in a way that brings glory and love into their lives. And and in, in chapter 12, verses 9 through 12, Paul writes, Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil and hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. What, what if, what if that's what we as a church were known for? That people were to think, not even just the church capital C, but Two Rivers itself. What if people in the community looked at Two Rivers and said, that is a church that is genuine with their love. That is a church that hates evil and loves good. That is a church that loves one another. That is a church that shows honor. What if you were known for your praise? What if the people around you looked at you and didn't know you for the things that you stood against, but they knew what you worshipped, the things that you praised, the things that you stand for? how would that affect the things that you focus on? Would that cause you to reprioritize where you spend your affection and your time and your energy? And once you begin unpacking the things that your heart is focused on, it raises the next question, how do I worship? The psalmist continues his imperative praise, calling out everything. Picking up in verse 3, he says, Praise Him with trumpet sound. Praise Him with lute and harp. Praise Him with tambourine and dance. Praise Him with strings and pipe. Praise Him with sounding cymbals. Praise Him with loud clashing cymbals. Let everything that has breath praise Yahweh. Praise Yahweh. He invites everyone into this massive celebration. It's almost like he's, he's looking at the people around him. He's like, you, you play trumpet? Come on, come on, we're praising. You, you play the lute? Come on, we're praising now. You, you don't play anything? You sing? Come on, we're praising now. He's calling everyone in the community to come together. It is time to praise Yahweh for what he has done. And it's interesting, because as I was looking into this, uh, I, there's a beauty in the, the instruments that he calls out, because oftentimes in, within uh, the, the liturgical sense, these instruments were associated with specific events or gatherings. The trumpets themselves were often used for, for royal or sacred events, like declaring uh, the the coming of a king or or a a, a sacred time of worship. The lute and the harp were more somber and regal instruments, that they uh, were were a, a more reflective music. The tambourine and dance were often used in joyous victory, that it was a type of celebration, that strings and pipe were the everyday music-making instruments for people to get together and just start jamming together. They would pull out their, their, their pan pipes or, or their flutes or their, their stringed instruments and just start making music. And the crashing cymbals were an overwhelming celebration. And within this list of instruments, the psalmist is actually showing that every aspect of life is reflected and brought into worship. And then he goes one step further by saying, if you breathe everything that has breath, you must praise. So often, worship is just refined and, 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 and scaled down and viewed as just, that's what you do on Sunday morning. And even within that, praise is often just restricted to the time that, that people are singing. But whatever you adore, whatever you strive after, whatever you are willing to fight for is what your heart worships. Whatever you exalt and lift up and glorify. These are the things that you praise. Your very life itself is a form of worship. That in Romans 12, Paul says that your body is a living sacrifice, that your living worship, which is very similar to the the first point, it reflects what are you worshiping? But in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, Paul says, so whether, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. That whatever you do, what, however you live your life, the things that you do in your life itself, everything that you do, do it for the glory of God. And specifically there, he's referring to the differences that people take within Christian liberties on if you can eat meat, uh, you know, sacrificed to an idol and things like that. But the main point, the heart of the argument still applies. Whatever you do inside of a church, outside of a church, whatever you do, do everything to the glory of God. And can you say that about your own life? Not just yeah I go to church or you know i I have a, a midweek Bible study, but all of life can you honestly say that about the the way that you the the way that you treat people or the way that you talk to people and not just your friends but the way that you treat your server at whenever you go out to eat it, whether you're going out to to eat at you know, uh, I can't even think of a fancy restaurant. It's sad that the, for me the fanciest restaurant that comes to mind is Outback Steakhouse. That's, that's where my mind goes. But whenever you go out to eat at, for a nice meal or if you're just going to, to Waffle House at 10 o'clock on a Saturday night, does the way that you treat your server reflect the glory of God? Does the way that you go to school and study reflect the glory of God? Does the way that you interact with authority figures, police, teachers, managers, whoever is in a a position of authority over you, are you interacting with them to the glory of God? Can you say that you watch TV to the glory of God, when you sit down and binge watch an entire season of The Office in one night, are you living out the glory of God? And I'm, I'm kind of stepping on my own toes on that one. Actually, a lot of these. The way that you shop, spend your money, the way that you balance your budget, is it done to the glory of God? Especially in our political climate today, the way that you vote, or more importantly, the way that you interact with the people who disagree with you. Are you doing that to the glory of God? And can you honestly say that your life is an act of worship? Not trying to earn God's love, but because he loved you first. Because when we go back and look at the opening of praising Yahweh, and even here at the ending, praise Yahweh. Everyone that has breath, praise Yahweh. It's that reminder of the covenant relationship. The the God who didn't just make creation, but stepped into creation to redeem and save what was broken and lost. Looking at the mighty deeds An excellent greatness of this covenant God that praise is the appropriate response to what he did first. Sometimes our children are just that. They're children and rambunctious and wild. And when I talk to my kids about whatever, whatever it is that they may have done that, that hurt somebody or, or made someone else cry or anything, whenever I sit them down, I always ask the question, how much does daddy love you? And the appropriate answer always stays the same, no matter what. How much does daddy love you, no matter what? because I want that to shape my relationship with my children, that regardless of what they do, if they do everything right or if they've completely tanked and messed up royally, that my love for them will never change. And so I want them to respond and obey, not trying to earn my love, but because my love for them stands no matter what. I want them to listen to mommy and daddy because we love them for who they are to us. They are ours. And nothing can ever change that. Your praise is a response to God's love for you. And like the psalmist, it invites the the others around you into what you are praising the people outside of this room know and see your praise. Life is so driven by the things that we praise. People know the things that you worship. Do they see what you are worshiping? Or do you often talk about Christ and get the response, "You go to church?" Never would have guessed that. Is your life? lived in a way that brings glory to God. Because there will be a day when Christ comes again, not as a a humble servant, but as a mighty king to reclaim his people and put a final end to sin and death, to bring in an eternal kingdom. And when he comes, all people will declare what John records in Revelation 5 and says and I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever all people all of creation either Eager worshipers are conquered enemies. All people will one day bow the knee to the name of Christ. And so I encourage you to let your praise invite others around you into the worship of a God who redeems his people. Let every aspect of your life point to the glory of of God and invite others to join in. And so, as we wrap up this morning, I want to ask what are you worshiping? What takes priority in your life and in your heart? Is it the created things of this world? Even the good things that are there can often take priority in front of the name of Christ. But what takes priority? In what you adore? Will you focus your heart on the covenant God who sent his own Son to redeem you from sin and death? And do you live your life in such a way that your worship is indistinguishable? Or do you live your life to the glory of God that all things in your life point to his glory? to such a point that even when people disagree with you, that they see your heart for redemption and the glory of Christ. How will you not just live, but how will you worship? Let us pray. Gracious God, we come before you this morning. God, we thank you for what you have done for us. God, we thank you because we do not have to try to earn your love, but God, you loved us first. You put yourself into relationship with us. You call us your children. You redeemed us from sin and death. And so, God, I pray that the response of our hearts would be to praise you we confess that far too often we are distracted by, e- by the things of this world even good things our families and, and nature hikes and, and, and everything else that you have made Lord you have made creation and it is good but we confess that far too often our hearts chase after the created things of this world and so God let us chase after you Let our lives reflect the glory of what you did first on our behalf. And let your love and your glory shine through your people. We pray all of this in the beautiful and precious name of Jesus Christ. Amen.